welcome to the Five Red Lights podcast. I'm your host, Aaron, and the Five Red Lights are on. See you at the finish line. Welcome along, everyone, to this week's Five Red Lights podcast. Thank you for choosing to listen. Before we dive into this week's episode, I just wanted to let you know about our social media accounts. Uh, On Twitter, we are at five underscore red underscore lights. And on Instagram, we are five red lights. So check them out, give them a follow. Uh, be very much appreciated. And check out our website, uh, five red lights podcast.wixsite.com slash five RL podcast. It's been a busy week in the Formula One world uh, with lots of news being announced uh, pretty quickly, actually, all sort of one after the other. Uh, so let's get cracking. Um, the first eight races of the season have been announced. So this is the revised calendar because of the COVID-19 pandemic and as Formula One announced a little while ago they were aiming to start the season in Austria on the 5th of July and that has been confirmed so we're going to have the Austrian Grand Prix on July the 5th followed by the Stiermark Grand Prix on July the 12th which will be held uh, in Austria at the Red Bull Ring as well. A week later we'll be heading for Budapest in Hungary Uh, for the Hungarian Grand Prix on July the 19th. So there's a triple header to begin the season. Um, Very exciting. Uh, Lots of racing to catch up on. So we're just going to gorge ourselves three Sundays in a row. Uh, Sit yourselves down with your telly on and your roast dinner on your lap and don't move for several hours. (laughs) Um, That's that's my plan at least. Um, So why the Steermark Grand Prix? Basically the uh, region of Austria where the Red Bull Ring is located is Stiermark, so uh, that makes a bit of sense actually. Um, that's the first three rounds, and then rounds four and five will be held at Silverstone. So the British Grand Prix will be on the second of August, followed by the Form- the Emirates Formula One seventieth anniversary Grand Prix, which I think is quite cool. Um, I'm going to come back to that uh, in a moment, um, and then the so they're, they're, they're a double header, and then there's a, a week after that, a trip to Spain for the Spanish Grand Prix uh, on the 16th of August. So there's a triple header followed by a week's break, followed by a second triple header, um, and then there's uh, another week off before a double header in Belgium and Italy. Uh, the Belgian Grand Prix on the 30th of August, and the Italian Grand Prix on the 6th of September, which are the original uh, dates that they were supposed to be held on. So who does this opening favour? Because generally you you look at the calendar and you go, well, it's Australia, then it's Bahrain, and then it's China, and they all have their own quirks, but they don't always necessarily favour one team directly over another. Usually you can almost count on Mercedes to be at the front with uh, Red Bull and Ferrari pretty hot on their heels but this way it changes that concept completely because the last two years in Austria have been dominated by Red Bull and Max Verstappen uh, who's won the last two races there obviously last year he uh, had a, a bit of a wretched start dropped down to seventh or eighth maybe even ninth uh, on the first lap and came back through to Biff Charles Leclerc out of the way uh, and win the race so on paper, it favours them. But then 
what will Mercedes do and what will Ferrari do in terms of setting up their cars? They might change the way they're running their car with the cooling or something um, to compensate for this. Um, but we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. You know, everyone is going to be playing catch up. And obviously, by this point at Austria, there's a lot of development has gone into the cars normally. But this year, there won't have been any development done from testing. So they're going in with a car they tested three months ago um, onto a track that is pretty unique in the fact that it's uh, fast straights, long corners in the middle sector, short lap um, and quite high speed. Whereas they would have normally started at a sort of a more street circuit styled Melbourne. So there's not going to be as much development. Drivers will be a bit rusty. You could see a few mistakes and a mistake around a shorter lap will cost you a lot more than it would around a longer lap because there simply isn't enough time to recover it. So that will be interesting. Um, and even if Verstappen does win the first race and Red Bull walk away with that, don't expect it to be repeated the week after. I think teams will learn. They will. You're going to have this fascinating situation, I think, where teams learn from the previous weekend and then they get an opportunity to put that that learning and that knowledge directly back into the car at the same circuit. Okay, the the the, the weather might change, you know, one week it could be pouring with rain and then the next week it could be blazing sunshine and 30 degree heat. But in terms of understanding the car, they'll get like a second go at it, which is really really rare. I don't think we've ever had um two runs on the same circuit in a Formula One season. Um, so that'll be interesting. So if Ferrari make a complete pig's ear of the first week uh, at one, one track, then they've got a chance to, to make amends the week after. Um, could, could be interesting. And you might see a few drivers getting their elbows out a bit more on, um, uh, on the second track on the second race weekend especially if they if they end up in the same place around the same drivers as they did the week before so you might you might see a, a renewed battle which will be quite interesting um the race at budapest will be the race at budapest uh, it'll be hot it'll be sticky it'll be without fans obviously and you know it, it could be red bulls to lose but don't don't count out Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton who's got an incredible record around Hungary it's just just unbelievable um, that that could be a real opportunity for Red Bull to put some distance between themselves and Mercedes early on and if they do that I'd, st I'd still expect Mercedes to come back strong through the next three which are at Silverstone and Spain uh, at Barcelona where they do the testing before the season. So the the point I wanted to make on the Formula One 70th anniversary Grand Prix, I think this is so cool because while the, the COVID-19 pandemic has been horrible for everyone to deal with and it's not been fun all the time, for sure, um, it's opened up this lovely opportunity for Formula One to celebrate its 70th birthday with a specific race carrying its name. Now, I had to think about this, and I thought, 
could they do this in the future? It would take a lot of planning. It would take a little bit of uh, negotiating and maybe some, some concessions from Formula One themselves, the FIA, and from the teams as well. So my, my kind of theory for this is a non-championship weekend with where they, where they throw everything at it, with uh, sprint races, reverse grids, um, so that they're, they're on like the Friday and the Saturday. So they don't have like any qualifying. They just do a sprint race with, um, there'd be some way to set the grid. Maybe they do um, like a Friday morning practice qualifying and then that sets the grid. So they get two hours per se to set up the cars and then that order sets the grid. So the last 30 minutes is where you'll see everyone start really going for it and they have a sprint race on like a saturday morning and then reverse grid race on saturday afternoon uh, maybe they do uh, like a, a full grand prix on the sunday um i i just got on my notes here an endurance style race um maybe it lasts two hours two and a half hours uh, or a 100 laps concept so the the indy 500 is I think it's 500 laps um, of the Indy Oval. So all sorts of avenues that could be explored here. I'm not suggesting for a second that this is anything that's on F1's mind, especially at the moment. But let's let's see where it goes. It, it, could, it could, could get some legs. I would definitely enjoy seeing that. I think it would just be one of those events where they can just blow everything up and celebrate everything that is great about formula one and do different things and you can have legends come back and participate in old cars or something like that you know like like with um the esports you've got uh, the race doing the legends trophy with the esports program and all sorts of stuff it could be brilliant so you've got the second uh, so got this, that's the second race at Silverstone. You've obviously got the, the first one, uh, which will be rounds four and five on the 2nd and 9th of August. Expect Mercedes to be strong there because predominantly an aero circuit combined with power and Mercedes have set the benchmark there over the last few years. Obviously, Vettel got a win in 2018, but uh, I don't. If, if Hamilton hadn't been turned around by Raikkonen at uh the second corner, I don't think Vettel would have won that one quite so easily. Spain will be the Spanish Grand Prix. It'll be tricky because of the amount of heat that is going to be around at that point. Obviously, we could be completely wrong about that, saying that now. It could pour down with rain like it did in 96. But Spain in August is vastly different to Spain in May. So... The stress on the tyres, the stress on the cars, it'll be a really different challenge for the engineers and for the drivers. It's a tough race to do even in May. Remember back in 2017 where Hamilton's chasing down Vettel and over the radio, just after they'd brought in these new aero uh, regs, he's, he's puffing down the radio because um, he's out of breath, he's working so hard. You know, We could hear all of that. It's going to be a real fitness challenge for the drivers. They're going to have to be in absolute peak condition and possibly even more to uh, deal with that 
that race and it's a grueling circuit so they'll be glad to have a weekend off after that um then they head to belgium and to italy and that will be as it is i expect to see ferrari come a little bit stronger there obviously this is all kind of based on what they were doing last year but obviously the, the core concepts of the cars would have been carried over for this year and they wouldn't have changed vastly because they were anticipating a rule change for 2021 which is now going to be 2022 um so whatever they've got for this year will probably be is going to be baked into next year because of the the ban on well, restrictions on development not necessarily a ban the restrictions on development for the cars for 2021 ahead of the 2022 um regulation change so that's the first eight races hopefully in the coming days weeks we will find out some more about the rest of the calendar um, in an interview on the f1 website chase carrier said that they've got a good idea on what they want to do and they've got options if certain things can't be um, pulled off so interesting to see where they go with it it could be they get to the british grand prix and then they announce the next five or six and then they sort of drip feed them which would be be an interesting one because then it keeps everyone on their toes and they're not sure where they're going next but i'm not sure they'll do that i think they'll uh, announce the whole thing so everyone can can plan everything ahead and work to a structure um yeah so hopefully we'll, we'll hear hear that soon and we can we can uh, debate who's going to come out on top in the rest of the season so it's all well and good we're going racing that's great but how are these races going to be safe how are the F1 going to be ensuring safety for everyone who's attending those events. And what what's going to change about what we see? Um, obviously, we're not going to be able to go to any of these races, so everyone will be watching from home uh, on the telly. Uh, it'll be interesting to see whether they allow, how many of, their, of the uh, media personnel they allow into the paddock and whether they have to broadcast from a studio back in their own country or... Um, from outside the circuit itself uh, i remember back in the itv days they would have a studio sometimes at the circuit so you could see stuff going on behind um, and if it was a flyaway and it was in early in the morning sometimes they'd have the studio back in london so you know that that, that could be a way they go about it but let's talk about what's going to happen at the racetrack itself so there's going to be testing before and throughout the weekend with teams operating in bubbles. And F1 have said that there is capacity for extra testing should it be required, which is pretty much bang on in line with what other uh, industries are doing. I know that schools in England are working this sort of uh, style in terms of bubbling groups of children together, groups of people together, trying to limit the amount of people that people are coming into contact with which is fine and that 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 works that's fine there's going to be privately sourced uh, ppe personal protective equipment and hygiene materials that will be provided by the race promoter uh, and this is going to be for the local personnel to minimize any risk to infection um, so if a marshal is required to assist a driver they'll have everything they need to go and do that job safely which you know 
absolutely the right thing to do and they need to make sure that this is all there and if it's not then really they have to get hold of it so the race can go ahead otherwise they they can't have a race at all because if one person is compromised then there is no point racing because it just undermines everything that they're trying to do and sends completely the wrong message um so that the, these marshals and lo other local personnel will be uh, located at specific parts of the circuit to do their role and asked to stay there uh, and observe social distancing which again perfectly understandable perfectly acceptable and i think it's fairly easy to uh to execute that people just need to be a little bit more self-aware and take responsibility of that which is nothing too strenuous to ask now there's been a lot of uh talk about trialing different things for the the second races um which is something i'm going to come on to uh my third point um i don't think the weekend will look too dissimilar to what we are accustomed to so there'll be so we should expect to see in austria for the austrian grand prix friday practice one practice two and then saturday practice three in the morning before qualifying one qualifying two and qualifying three on saturday afternoon with the race on sunday now there won't be as many interviews uh, they might be done over zoom they might be done privately and then broadcast globally we'll have to wait and see on that the grid before a race definitely be a lot less busy i don't think we'll see as much of the showy stuff um there won't be airplanes flying everywhere for the for the fans to look at because they'll all be at home uh, so unless it wants to fly over most of europe and asia <laughs> i don't see that happening we'll probably see a lot less driver interviews on the grid so you know you see that the people on the news they've got these really long microphones with the, the really long sticks with the microphones attached to the end doable but you know they're going to have to navigate themselves in and out of all the mechanics and that's not really going to be observing social distancing so these impromptu spontaneous um, interviews during the grid walks and when drivers are nipping to and from the grid between the pit lane um, don't really anticipate seeing too many of them um, but what about after the race let's you know let's be sensible it's unlikely that all three drivers can be up on a podium together can't really be two meters two meters apart there so my guess is that we're only going to see the race winner going up there if anybody at all um they'll go and receive their trophy in front of their own team so like perhaps one of one single bubble of the team will go so they've got someone to present it to um obviously there's the whole passing the trophy over so maybe the trophy will be set on a stand then perhaps wiped down with something and and uh then they will be called forward to to collect it uh, themselves which is fine um and then obviously the relevant social distancing um measures will need to be adhered to just a small presentation so something like that and then the second and third places will be privately done and again some sort of small presentation and photo ops that the teams can then circulate and formula one can then circulate on social media something like that perhaps um we'll have to wait and see 
we could be completely wrong. There might be nothing at all. It might just go, no, can't do it. So we'll wait and see on that. Wait and see. So I mentioned the ideas about trialing different things for the setup of the weekend. And there's been one that's been widely publicized and that's reverse grids. Now, a lot of people, a lot of people are very pro reverse grids and think it will bring a lot to the sport. I come down on the bad idea side of the fence. Um, I don't think it's a good thing to do this year. I think it would be, I guess it's a great opportunity, but I don't think it would be sensible to start trialing it out uh, when we're trying to fit in as many races as possible. I think it would really compromise the integrity of the World Championship because, um, you know, you've got one one driver, two drivers being handicapped by starting on the back row of the grid because they've simply done the best job in the opening races or something. So, you know, I, I kind of uh, liken it to wet races because they, they the number of wet races you get in a season can significantly skew... Uh, the direction of a world championship, but the the weather is completely out of anyone's control for starters, and obviously you have got to have the car set up for for driving well in the wet. And obviously, if you see the weather radar and you gamble on a wet race in a dry qualifying session, you can qualify further back. But then, if it rains, you could be in a good position to make your way through the field. Whereas if you put yourself on pole, you could then try you could slide back, but it's a real it's a real balancing act. Obviously, if you get it wrong, you can be completely handicapped. Um, but that that's kind of your own fault. That's that's your gamble. That's your your choice as a team and as a driver. But then that, that doesn't ever take away from the fact that in the wet, driver feel and skill is rewarded so you would still get a a representative take from the championship of who was doing the best job that year so you know if let's say driver a you've got four drivers drivers a b c and d drivers a b and c are best in dry weather but driver d is a wet weather specialist um they might driver D might get more points in the wet races, but then it's you know driver A is more than competent in the rain. Driver C hates it, you know, can't generate heat in his tires, whatever. You'd still get a picture for who was most able to drive the cars in the right way and deal with the situation that is presented in front of them because. Even in a dry race, some things go wrong, bad pit stop, make a mistake, get stuck in traffic. You know, I think reverse grids would be a bad idea because they'd just take away any of that. You'd, you'd be sticking someone at the back for, for no reason, basically, because why should anyone be penalised for having done the best job? Which is a bit unfair. You know, look at every every track it has its own unique challenge um and there are some that you just can't overtake on let's let's 
let's think about it. If you if you do a reverse grid race at Monaco, whoever's got the worst car has got a slam dunk victory, which yeah is great. You get a, a different winner, but is that is that how someone wants to win a race because they had the worst car, so they ended up getting pole position at a track where no one could overtake, and then they just led everybody home. Um, now this has been suggested by Christian Horner and. And the, the rest of the F1 teams and not surprisingly Mercedes have shot it down Chase Carey has come out and said that F1 is not after gimmicks um, and I, th I think a reverse grid could be seen as gimmicky because you're just switching it around for the for almost the sake of it um, reverse grids aren't anything new in motorsport but I, th I think Formula 1 can do better than that they can do something cleverer than that that brings more to the show than a reverse grid because if, if you're going to do a reverse grid you might as well have sprinklers that come on at a completely random time as well because then you know you start with the slowest car at the front but then everyone gets lumbered with oh my gosh the sprinklers have come on it's wet get in here for some slicks get in here to get off the slicks and get in here for some wets so it could be the sprinklers come on a little bit perhaps in one sector maybe it could be completely random it goes only one sector and it goes sector by sector or they all come on at once and they only come on a little bit for a short time or they come on a little bit for a long time they come on like a hose pipe uh, has exploded and it's just you know almost an ocean as you arrive at a corner so if you want to go reverse grids you've got to have something that can negate not negate it per se but that can then sort of rebalance it if things don't seem to be working so if you like at Monaco you could uh, or maybe at Budapest where it's tricky to, to overtake you could have a reverse grid but we're going to put the sprinklers on at some point it's just going to be completely random but both are a bit gimmicky and they've both been suggested before and there's a reason why neither of them have happened yet so we'll wait and see on that um, the, the suggestion has been of a reverse grid qualifying race on a Saturday as an experiment and then the that sets the grid for the main race on a Sunday uh, and this would happen at only the second race where there's two races at the same circuit so like in uh, Austria or at Silverstone if they were going to do this as an experiment it'd need to be a non-championship event for me really because you've got to like I said with the integrity of the championship you can't affect the world championship and try these different things you got to, it's like with the elimination qualifying they tried it and it clearly didn't work it ruined the show so they had no they had no choice but to to switch back after two races because it was dreadful it was awful god i wanted to gouge gouge my eyes out after watching that um now how they would run this as a non-championship event is is tricky because and it kind of feeds feeds back almost to my point about the um the one-off race about the uh, anniversary so maybe in 2030 where they have 80 years so this this would cover that as well so you know teams would perhaps be allowed to use an amount of new parts on the car so they'd use their current cars but they would use test parts so as a non-championship event they could say well you know we lewis valtteri this is mercedes talking we, we don't want to risk the car um so we'll run an old engine and we'll run test parts and we'll do this, this and this. 
um, would they be allowed a, a fresh engine and who would cover that cost? So Williams, as a prime example, are in financial trouble. They have to buy an engine from Mercedes. So who's going to cover that cost? Because I think they're like, they're not cheap. They're several million pounds a pop um, just for one engine. And obviously they've got to do two engines because they've got two cars. So who's going to cover that? Is that going to be Formula One covering that cost? Or is it going to be a sponsor coming in for the event to cover the cost of that for the smaller team? So where they, they get a bigger chunk of that money to then give um, to that. Or do the, the manufacturers give them one for free? Can't see that happening. Um, but all things that can be considered. Um, not against trialing these sort of things, but you can't have them as championship events because it would just look silly when you look back on the championship, you know what, you would end up having to put an asterisk next to it, saying it was a bit of a test run, uh, this guy won, but, you know, this guy in second would have won if we hadn't done reverse grids because he had a car that would have been on pole and he'd have won the races. So, you know, it's, it's a tough one. And there's, I'm sure there's a way around it, but let's wait and see on that one. Put a pin in that. Let's uh, pencil it in for for a couple of years' time. Moving away from some of the uh, news that's come up over the last few days. Um, last week we watched uh, the 1998 Belgian Grand Prix rerun. Well, I did, certainly. It was, it was on the YouTube channel. I think it's still on there, the full race. Um, if not, just, just find the highlights there. They're on there as well. What a race. An absolutely crazy race. Relentless rain. Damon Hill comes home to win for Jordan. Their first ever win out of his teammate Ralph Schumacher and Jean Alessi's Sauber. Only six drivers were classified as finishers. Uh, Shinji Nakano's uh, Minardi and David Coulthard's McLaren were several laps behind because they had uh, rear wing replacements following collisions. So the race gets underway it's it's wet it's not very nice it's uh it's pretty dreary to be honest and as they come out of la source turn one david coulthard spins up his rear wheels whether on a drain cover or not i'm not sure it could have just been a river of water uh but he triggers this multiple car pileup. it's about 15 16 17 cars out of the 22 um that just pile in some of them unavoidable but some of these uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use this word lightly, but you know some of these idiots at the back. Okay, they couldn't see, but you know, I'm pretty sure you could have. There'd have been something telling you what was going on because some of them just plow straight into the these cars, and it it shows just how far safety has come from from, from even from like 19 the, the early 1990s to then, and from then to now because. I watch it. I watch it back, and there's. Uh, I'm not sure who's who this wheel comes from, but I think it could be Eddie Irvine's Ferrari or Coulthard's McLaren. But there's a wheel that flies up over um, the side of the the Arco barrier, and it just misses this this man's head who's leaning out on this raised grandstand to take a photo. And there were several wheels that just bounced everywhere. They they go walkabouts. They're taking flight. They're making bids for freedom however you like and so lucky that one just none of them didn't come down on top of a driver's head or a spectator and bits of carbon fiber didn't 
go into anyone's body or anything. They were so fortunate. Um, obviously, they had to restart, and then not everyone can restart because two cars were involved in the accident. And back then, they had the um, spare car, the T car. And it may not have been set up for someone, or so it might have gone to them, or it might have gone to the driver who qualified highest. Um, so we lost three or four drivers because their car was wrecked and there wasn't <laughs> one available for them. Now, I felt sorry, actually, for Mika Hakkinen and Jacques Villeneuve because they make great starts, <laughs> the first one. Uh, and Damon Hill and Michael Schumacher get left behind a little bit. Hill's back in seventh. Uh, Schumacher's back in sixth or fifth, I think, as they go into the first corner. And obviously, Hakkinen gets out of the corner well. Villeneuve's right on his tail as they go down the hill. And you see, you can see them. Um, going through and, and even Murray Walker he's, he's concentrating more on that he's like look at Villeneuve and obviously there's complete pandemonium behind them and they have to restart the race so on the restart Hill jumps into the lead from uh, third on the grid and uh, Schumacher goes wheel to wheel with Hakkinen there's a bit of bumping Hakkinen spins round uh, and their title rivals that year so Hakkinen spins round and you're thinking, oh man, that's not what he needed. And what he really didn't need was to be clouded by Johnny Herbert in the Sauber for, for good measure. So uh, when that happened, uh, he must have been pretty miffed, to say the least. Um, obviously, being a Finn, I doubt he said very much. It was more of a uh, sort of sound. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, he's out of the race. Schumacher's carrying on. He overtakes Damon Hill on that seven or eight and uh, starts galloping off into the distance um, pretty um, similarly to his win in Spain in 1996 just leaves everyone behind um, he's miles ahead so comes up to lap David Coulthard on lap 24 and this is the most this is probably what the race has become I'm not sure if famous or infamous is the right way to put it perhaps most infamous for because they come out of um uh, the, they come through Le Cam and then they go around the right-hander, through the left-hander and onto the straight leading down to Pouan. Coulthard lifts on the racing line and Schumacher just smashes into the back of him, rips the front right wheel completely off the suspension's gone, the front wing. Bear in mind this is a wet weather race, so you need, you know, six wheels, ideally, to clear all the water and then, you know, a front wing wouldn't wouldn't go amiss either so he ends up driving back three wheels on his wagon and um the commentary again from from murray walker i mentioned it uh, last episode um about the monaco races but it just I was, I was a young boy watching this it's one of my first f1 memories if not the first and murray walker just sits in my head i associate him and his commentary with formula one incidents so uh, vividly He's just chatting away you know, about how Coulthard's been struggling and Schumacher's going brilliantly. And then he goes, oh, God, because <laughs> it's completely unexpected. It was the most out of, it just didn't see it coming. It was the most out of con context thing to happen. It's a perfect thing for um, a, a, a sports quiz show, uh, a what happened next round or, or something. 
Um, so they, they go back to the pits. You know, Schumacher minus a wheel in his front wing. Coulthard, who's not having a very good race, now seems out of it. No rear wing. Schumacher comes in, throws his steering wheel out, jumps out of his car, marches down the pit lane, uh, and it looks for all the world like he's going to um, the FIA and the stewards, but he, he walks into the McLaren garage, a couple of garages down, and he's trying to have it out with Coulthard. Uh, they, the team separate them, and he's, he's led away, but, you know, I'm, from reading Coulthard's book, you know, Schumacher's eyes were popping and his neck was bulging and, you know, he was pretty furious and I think he accused, I think he accused him of uh, trying to kill him, which is a bit of a stretch, but, you know. Um, Schumacher then also didn't admit to any wrongdoing because Coulthard, as Coulthard puts it, Schumacher drove into him. Although he did accept Coulthard that he, he shouldn't have lifted on the racing line. But then, you know, Schumacher should have been aware of that. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those crazy incidents. It, it should happen a lot more than it really does because visibility in the rain is so tricky. Um, we actually saw it repeated later on with Giancarlo Fisichella slamming into the back of um, Nakano's Minardi and kind of coming down the, the pit straight um, because they approached the old bus stop, which was literally a left-right, short-straight, right-left, a bit like a bus, an actual bus stop, uh, pulling in. So he ends up clouting the back of this Minardi, flying across the, the little grass um, section in, in the middle of the bus stop chicane. And he's got no front wheels, so it's just the rear wheels, the side pods, and it just gradually looks more and more like a rocket. And the fact that it's smoking, every time I see it, I think, oh, it's, it's, it's a rocket. <laughs> It's not. It's a ruined racing car. So um, it's, it's the sort of thing that should happen a lot more, but it doesn't, which is amazing. So following from that, Damon Hill wins the race. It's a Jordan 1-2, and that was really the kickstart of Jordan's um, swan song period in Formula 1. They won uh, three, two races the following year uh, in France and in Italy. But it was just a completely bonkers race. Cars just going off everywhere. Um, just talking about Villeneuve earlier, he uh, made a great start you know, on the first start, but then the second start didn't quite go so well. Ends up retiring, having had a few spins. It's just the way things go in Formula 1. Um, it was indicative of his season that as defending world champion, everyone thought Williams would be at the front, but they weren't. They were far from it. In the end, Damien Hill wins the race, and it was his final win in Formula One because he retired the year after. But just, just a magical race. It, I think it's the first race I ever watched, and it, it sits in my head with fond memories. And talking of winnings now in 1998, it was a bit of the beginning of the decline that they've uh, gone through over the last few years because, as you might have heard, probably seen somewhere they've been put up for sale so why has this come about they've posted a 13 million loss for 2019 and they have severed ties with their title partner rocket uh, they make uh, drinks phones um, and they're 
So it's suggested that they that Rocket have an outstanding sum of money due to Williams, uh, roughly around a million pounds from what I could read on different websites and from different sources. But this is kind of the final, final nail, nail in the coffin. The writing's been on the wall for a while for Williams. Um, they had a bit of a renaissance with BMW and they, again when they switched to Mercedes but ultimately neither combination proved to be a championship winner. They could have done uh, better with BMW in 2003 because they had a real shot at the championship with Montoya that year, but they, they didn't deliver on the aerodynamic side where um, McLaren and Ferrari were. So obviously Ferrari had Ross Braun and uh, Rory Byrne and they had Schumacher. McLaren had nicked Adrian Newey from Williams, which is why their 98 car probably wasn't quite as good as they'd hoped. And they they struggled from there. They, they didn't get on top of the aero, aero um, direction that teams were going in. BMW actually made an offer to buy the team. Uh, they were turned down, and they ended up having more success with their own team once they had bought Sauber. And this is re repeated with Lawrence Stroll trying to buy Williams as well after he put his son Lance in the team. But he was turned down and then has gone on to buy Racing Point who are ahead of Williams. So, you know, Williams, I know, I know that they, they wanted to be an independent and they wanted to do it all themselves, but really looking at, like, looking at it like that, they, they've cut their nose off to spite their face because it's all well and good saying, yeah, we want to do it all ourselves, we want to do it all ourselves, but where's the money coming from? It's just, you know, they, they shouldn't, they needed to realise that gone are the days where they could just choose from the best drivers because they needed to take budget-boosting sponsor drivers to keep their finances going. You know, Kazuki Nakajima came in in 2008 because he allowed them to get free Toyota engines. Pastor Maldonado replaced Nico Hulkenberg. Didn't really, can't really say he didn't deserve the seat, but didn't really deliver anything better than Hulkenberg would have managed. Bruno Senna came in with sponsorship. Sergei Sorokin came in with sponsorship. Lance Stroll came in, uh, bagged a seat with the seat with with um, help of some extra cash. You know, this kind of proves that money really does talk. It's a shame. It's really sad because we don't want to see the um, Williams name disappear from Formula One. Hopefully it doesn't. And hopefully we get some, we can see some heavy investment through majority or minority stake in the team. Um, even if it's bought outright, the, the name is retained um, somehow. You know, that might be of benefit to whoever owns it next, the heritage payments that Formula One, so if they retain the Williams name. But it's going to take a, a, a lot of effort to to turn this around. So if anyone who's listening, you know, has a few spare uh, hundred million quid or something, and fancies buying a race team, there's one available. Um, but hopefully they they can sort things out. They they're good to go racing this year. They've said so. Fingers crossed they can get through this year. And if they can get through next year, and get some good backing for 2022, and the new cost cap. You know, brighter days might be ahead for Williams, and they might be able to get through this rocky period. Um, 
it's it's been, it's been on the wall for a while, and the fact that they've been put up for sale isn't because um, they've just realised what's going on. But the the COVID nineteen pandemic has brought all the time frames forward, or had to move them back for certain things. Uh, anything financial has brought it forward, so they've had to make a decision now on whether to put the team up for sale or not. They have, so let's see where it takes them, and hopefully it can take them towards uh, something close to their glory days. All right, that's the end of the episode then, guys. Checkered flag has fallen on another recording session for me. And thanks for listening once again. Um, if you can leave any feedback uh, on your podcast um, suppliers or tweet us, message us on Instagram, um, check out the website, as I said earlier in the show. We'd love to hear from you. So stay safe. Let's... Well, there's not hope for racing now. Let's uh, let's look forward to the first race in Austria, the fifth of July. It cannot come quick enough. It's like waiting for Christmas. See you in the next episode, guys. Stay safe. Bye. <laughs>